0: Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. And we're very glad that you're here. I'd like to extend a special welcome to those of you who are visiting with us for the first time. If you have questions or comments about this church or this movement, please do ask me or ask the friendly and knowledgeable people at the visitor table and they will be happy to help you. We come from a long tradition and heritage of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in every person. And so it is as part of that heritage that I ask you to greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. I invite you to say the words with me by which we light our chalice. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Our reading is by William F. Schultz. Come into this place of peace and let its silence heal your spirit. Come into this place of memory and let its history warm your soul. Come into this place of prophecy and power and let its vision change your heart. And now we affirm our mission statement in your order of service and on the wall. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice.
1: Good morning. Now last time I was in this pulpit I spoke to you all about coming home to UUism and being vocal enough to help others to do the same thing. Many of you have heard me several times now talk about my joy in joining this staff here as Interim Director of Lifespan Religious Education. Mouthful, but such a wonderful gig. Especially, I'm so happy about this, especially in light of the fact that I started my ministerial journey right here in this church many, many years ago. I just had... Someone earlier, just before the service started, say she remembered me when I was just a little squirt here back in the day working with Interweave. So that was nice. Uh, So yes, it was the people here in this church who helped me to discover my call to ministry and encouraged me to pursue that path. So when Meg called me over the summer and asked if I could come in and help you all out in religious education for a bit... I was just thrilled at the chance to come home, and even more thrilled to be asked to stay a bit longer as I have been. After completing my undergraduate degree down the road at St. Edwards, I headed to New York to attend Union Theological Seminary, all the while intending to someday return to Austin and do ministry here in some form or another. I wasn't sure of the particulars, when I headed out to seminary, only about Austin. I knew that I wanted to live and work in the place and in the community that I had loved and that had nurtured my call. I moved right back here after I graduated seminary and worked with kids in a daycare and as a substitute school teacher while I took some time to figure out my next steps. While doing so, I surprised myself by gaining admission to a prestigious 12-month chaplaincy residency at the Medical Center of the University of California in San Francisco. From there, I was invited to apply and was later accepted to become the shared ministerial intern at both Troop and Unitary I'm sorry, Troop and Neighborhood Unitarian Universalist Churches in Pasadena, California. These experiences were invaluable, yet all the while, I pined for Austin. I wanted to journey with and serve you, UUs who understood better that as a Chicana and as a Tejana, a Texan, I have no confusion about whether I'm Mexican or American or Unitarian Universalist or lesbian. In Texas and within this church, we work And we do our best to create room for everyone to be their whole selves. And we work together to celebrate those differences. Many UUs I met in other states didn't often understand my love for this place and its people. They hear the stories on the news. They know our reputation as Texans. And they wonder very vocally, Why liberal religious folk would ever stick around such a place? (laughs) I longed to journey with and to serve those Austin UUs who look injustice in the face and say, we will stand on the side of love and not move aside, and we will see love prevail. I came back as fast as I could. And yes, I'm overjoyed to be back home with all of you, but the journey here, to be honest, was a long one, wrought with many hardships along the way. Preparation for UU ministry is a very involved and very, very expensive endeavor, (laughs) especially when your family, as mine was, is not able to contribute anything grew up in a single-parent household. I worked and I borrowed my way through both of my degrees only to find my household a fast statistic of the Great Recession, as they're now calling it. When we must operate from a place of scarcity for so long, it becomes difficult to imagine abundance. So many of us, including this church, are standing in that same place. Having operated for so long through a narrative of scarcity, we now have to reteach ourselves to recognize our multitude of blessings and begin to embody the wildest imaginings of our highest potential. This year, I'm personally digging myself out of a hole, a financial hole. I'm playing catch-up hard to do with my personal finances, and I'm so grateful for the privilege to begin to do so after so long. I'm not yet able to give this church as much as I would like to financially, but I'll be as generous as I'm able, and I urge all of you to do the same in your pledges, and please consider even giving a multi-year pledge, the 1-2-3 pledge, as you'll hear over and over and see on our posters. Let's imagine together and then become the wildest imaginings of our highest potential. It is, after all, our mission. Thank you.
0: Since the organization that we talked about for our social justice offering this morning was Front Steps, I thought I would talk a little bit about the things that land people on the streets. For families who end up homeless, it's usually um, the economy for individuals who end up homeless, singles. um, A lot of times it's the economy, but apparently, according to the studies that people do of homelessness, about 66% of the time, there's some combination of mental illness and substance abuse that contributes to the situation of homelessness. Other reasons can be Violence at home, abuse at home. Um, For teenagers on the street, a lot of times it's abuse at home. And a lot of times, 40% of the time, I mean, 40% of the teenagers on the street are lesbian and gay. And the issues are all tangled together. Um, We have Domestic Violence Awareness Month. In October, and we have coming out day that was this past week, and we're raising money for the homeless. So I thought I would just talk about this whole tangle of issues, this Gordian knot of issues. And I say it's a tangle because a lot of times um, abuse can be. Experienced because or together with substance abuse at home. Some parents can do it stone cold sober, but some uh, are abusing substances. Sometimes mental illness can be triggered by substance abuse. Sometimes substance abuse is self medication for mental illness. Sometimes um, abuse or neglect from childhood, can contribute to substance abuse or trigger mental illness. What I'm not saying is that if you're abused and neglected as a child, it's going to mean necessarily that your whole life is ruined. Um, Many people find the spirit of the lotus that's in front of your bulletin that has its roots in the mud and the muck and yet comes up so beautifully. We all look for that spirit in our lives. So, um, what do we fix first? Uh, It seems like people of goodwill tried to fix the substance abuse problem, prohibition. It kind of worked, but kind of didn't. It's really hard to fix mental illness. It's easier to fix our attitudes toward mental illness so that it's it's not a struggle to deal with the illness and with people's attitudes. I think we have a pretty good shot in Austin at fixing this um, horror of being lesbian and gay. This church, of all churches, could do it. We could make a, a, an intention that we're going to have uh, no kid in Austin kill him or herself because of being gay. And no family in Austin feel like they have to throw their kid out on the street for being gay. Sometimes the families feel like that because the church they go to teaches them that they are responsible for the soul of their child and that their child's going to go to hell, which they will for being lesbian and gay, they teach. Um, it's the parents' fault. So the parents go to incredible lengths, cruel lengths, sometimes to the point of throwing their kid out of the house just to show them tough love Um You can't live under this roof as long as you're going to be gay. And this congregation of any congregation in town has the power to spread ripples of knowledge, understanding, and passion that might nip that problem in the bud in Austin. It's a worthy goal, I think. Um. one of the things that I want us to do this morning is to learn about abuse and what abuse is like and what the cycle of abuse is. I had to learn about this when, um, I helped to start the battered women's shelter in Spartanburg, South Carolina. When I got there, I was 26 years old and, um, they didn't have a women's shelter that surprised me. And so I saw a little ad in the paper that said it was from this one woman who said, I want to start a battered women's shelter. So I called her and said, let's do it. And, um, (laughs) <laughs> there was a lot we didn't know. And I realized that one day when I was driving down the street with a, a battered woman in the in the passenger seat and her husband in the family station wagon behind us coming up fast with a, a rifle. And I thought, um, maybe there's a better way to do this. We had asked for the police's help and they had said no, they couldn't do anything because there really hadn't been a crime um, yet. But now the organization is going strong and um, the police are wonderful in their uh, cooperation with the women's shelter. But uh, here's what I learned. I learned that there's nothing simple about abuse. People say... Uh, When they don't know, they go, oh, if somebody I loved hit me, I'd be just out the door. I would just be out the door. Well, okay, let's imagine this. Let's imagine this afternoon, by surprise, the person you love most in the world attacks you physically. Okay. It's a surprise, a shock. Where are you going to go? You have the money that's in your pocket. How are you going to live? When they say, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I did that. I would rather lose my right hand than do that to you again. Are you going to forgive them? Probably. That's sometimes how the cycle starts. Sometimes. The cycle goes, um, blow up, Uh, Apology. Release of tension. Everything is great for a little while. And then the tension starts building up again. And you can almost feel it coming. You can feel it coming almost to the point where you just want to make it come on. So that you can get rid of that tension and get to the relief part again. So. That is one of the ways. That the cycle happens. Now. It's complicated too because you love the person who did this to you. Either it's a parent or a best friend or a partner and you want to believe that it's not going to happen again and gets more complicated because if you were abused as a kid, then you have this wiring inside that makes you think it's your fault. You must have done something. And if you're really, really, really good, whatever that means then you can keep it from happening again. So you think of ways to keep it from happening again. And it's even more complicated because if you're a person who's experienced violence and chaos at home as a kid, sometimes it affects your brain chemistry wiring so that you, uh, your adrenal glands dump adrenaline into your bloodstream at a kind of a lower threshold than people with more ordinary brain wiring. So things feel like an emergency that another person wouldn't feel as an emergency. Does that make sense? And so the complication just layers on top of itself. Um, there doesn't have to be physical violence even for a situation to be abusive. There could be emotional abuse, verbal abuse, um, Emotional abuse most commonly consists of uh, constant put-downs, eye-rolling, belittling, explosions of rage, dismissal of your concerns, um, long days of silence, isolating you from friends and family, preventing you from what you want to do, either by intimidation or by emotional blackmail. And what's emotional blackmail? What does it look like? It looks like this. If you don't do what I want you to do, then you don't love me. If you don't do what I want you to do, then I will explode or I will hurt myself. Or if you don't do what I want you to do, I'll hurt somebody you love or something you love. Or you will just have uh, several days of intense uh, high drama that you probably want to avoid, so you better just do what I said. And if you live with that for any length of time, uh, which people do very bravely, trying to protect themselves best they can and their kids best they can, um, or their siblings, you start feeling like maybe you're not any good. You start feeling that maybe uh, you're just a burden and that you're maybe unwanted wherever you go. And it can make you feel ashamed inside, like there's something wrong with you. And you can feel ashamed because sometimes you protect the person who hurts you. Because you don't want just the whole falling apart thing that happens when you go to the authorities. So why am I talking about this here at church other than just that I want you to know about it? I'm talking about it because I'm doing a sermon series about the covenant of healthy relations that you all put together and voted on. Um... The first sermon in that series was about the word covenant. What does that mean? It's promise, a promise of how you want to be. And the second sermon was uh, last Sunday about supporting the church generously with your time, your talent, and your treasure. And this section of the relationship covenant that I'm talking about today says we want to make our church a safe place to express our deepest fears and our greatest joys. A safe place, which is a lovely picture. So what does that entail? How would you make something safe? And how would you, if we do it here, if we make this place a safe place to express your deepest fears and greatest joys, it will be a wonder. It will be one public place that is safe. There aren't that many. We do a lot of things as a congregation. But if that were the only thing we did, it would almost be enough to make this a safe place. So, in order to be safe, a place has to be somewhere where you're not going to get physically or verbally attacked. That's pretty minimal. You're not going to be physically or verbally attacked in that place. And a safe place should be free uh, from outbursts of rage. It should be free from physical fear. Your sexual boundaries should be respected. It should be a place where you can have your view and speak about it, even when others have a different view. I saw a radical example of this. Some of you all will laugh who don't know Unitarian Universalism that well. But... um, You'll get to know it. In another church long ago and far away, um, at, a, at a social dinner, the talk turned to politics, and it was a pretty heavily Democratic talk. And um, a woman spoke into a lull in the talk and said, I voted for George W. Bush. The long-term member chair of a committee at the church. And as the minister of that church, I held my breath to see what would happen. (laughs) Because I knew these people and they're very nice people. So I knew the worst that would happen would be that Southern thing where you pretend it hasn't happened. (laughs) Where you use the time honored sound. (laughs) but that didn't happen what happened instead was someone said I don't understand that can you help me can you explain and it wasn't said with a snarky tone it was said with respect can you help me understand that I know you I think you're a wonderful person. We share the same values. Can you help me understand? Oh, that was a proud moment. Disagreement with respect is very difficult. Almost none of us is trained to do that. In most families, you're trained that disagreement is an attack. If you disagree with a parent, usually you either get the smashdown down or you get I'm hurt, I can't believe you would say something like that to me. Or, what's wrong with you? Or, oh, <laughs> you don't think that. <laughs> Disagreeing with respect is what a safe place means to me. Because you're not going to have a place with no disagreement. That's not going to happen. And um, another story from another church long ago and far away is that there was a discussion happening, and someone raised her hand and said, I just don't feel that I was heard. The facilitator said, Well, is this what you said? Da 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 da. She said, Yes. He said, I think the gentleman who just spoke to you spoke to that point. Yes. So I think you were heard, you just were disagreed with. And she went, oh. (laughs) Because just as an aside, and this is a whole other sermon, most of us extroverts believe that just a few more words will bring you around... (laughs) To our point of view. And that if you disagree with us, it's because you didn't quite understand what we were saying. <laughs> it takes a lot of respect to engage with somebody that you disagree with. A lot of times when we don't have enough respect or enough love or enough time or enough uh, energy, we just go, oh, <laughs> I'm not going to deal with that. And that kind of, uh, oh, uh, is not as respectful as engaging passionately and respectfully. So this is a perfect place to learn how to do that. Especially since uh, coming up in the spring, we're going to have a spring into action, all congregation social justice um, cluster of uh, activities that have to do with immigration. And I think that that is an issue around which the best people have disagreements. And we can engage in civil conversation about it and in action about it and um, see how we do. So in churches that have felt unsafe, members have had very different experiences of the situation. Same thing with families where there's been abuse. Um, sometimes the abuse is just directed toward one kid. And so as grown-up siblings, they'll be talking about their growing up time, and they'll say to the kid who ha- is expressing the, the difficult um, memories, they'll say, boy, we just must have grown up in a whole different family. I just don't remember it that way at all. Everybody's got a different experience. And in a church that has experienced a lack of safety feeling, Everybody had a different experience of it. Some people go, I just didn't, that wasn't my experience. And other people go, well, it was mine. And you're kind of at a standoff. In some families, uh, the tendency is to blame the person who was targeted. You go, well, they're just, you know, always noisy and obnoxious. Uh, You know, I I wanted to abuse you myself when we were growing up. (laughs) So we have to notice and watch that tendency to blame the people who are targeted. Another thing that happens in a congregation that has felt unsafe is that people um, feel ashamed because they saw it but didn't know what to do. Or ashamed because they didn't see it. Or ashamed because they tried to do something and it didn't work. They couldn't make it all right. And they blame themselves because that's what we do. So what is needed in order to make a safe place? What do we need to do? Number one, we need um, gentle interactions. Now, I find myself wishing that you had a more gentle minister. Um, I mean, I'm okay, but I'm a little sarcastic. And uh, if I were a more earnest person, uh, it might seem safer, but it would be less fun. (laughs) That's my story, I'm sticking to it. You need gentle interactions, you need acknowledgement of people's right to their feelings and their views, you need dependability. You need for people to do what they say they're going to do. You need good structure. You need transparency. You need fun. You need allowance for disagreement. In fact, you need to have experiences of some good, strong disagreements where nothing gets blown up and no one gets annihilated, where respect is maintained. And then you go, oh, we can have that. It can happen. You guys are doing that. You need the assumption of good intentions where you hold on to the knowledge that people are doing their best and they're doing their best with the information they have and the views and skills that they have for the congregation, no matter how wrong they are. <laughs> and we make a safe place here because we want to, which is enough of a reason, and we make a, same, a safe place here so that we'll have the peace to really spread our wings. And we want to really spread our wings and grow strong and fine so that we can um, address problems of homelessness with more energy and more focus, so that we can address the situation of gay teens ending up on the street or ending up killing themselves when that is completely preventable. And we can have the strength to help with that, to tell parents there is no hell. Your children are not going to hell. Don't worry about it. Um, Your minister is a lovely person, but they're mistaken about that. You would go to jail if you burned your child for making mistakes. Do you think you're a better parent than God? Why would we worship a God who would burn his children for making mistakes? It's not logical. We can say that every single day of the rest of our lives. And if that is all the evangelism we did, it would be a wonder. It would be great. So just think about it. We've got a lot of work to do. We're getting stronger and stronger. So, I think it's gonna happen. May this be a safe place. May your homes be a safe place. And eventually, with a lot of spiritual grounding, may your hearts be a safe place. Now, will you please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice? We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Remember the way of the wind and breathe and blow. Remember the way of the fire and sparkle and glitter and glow. Remember the way of the water and ebb and flow. Remember the way of the earth and grow. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian
1: Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www austinuu.org